Yeah, it's harrowing. I mean, I feel like I kind of smile when I watch something like Tiny House Nation. There's the dramatic move like music as it's moving, but every time our tiny houses moved, I felt that like energy. It's it's your house. (laughs) Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 133 with Bailey Carlson. I first heard of Bailey Carlson when I saw some story or post somewhere about her tiny house home birth story. So she certainly made a splash with that. Uh, But she has lived in both a movable tiny house, a luxury schoolie, and has lots of insight to share when it comes to raising kids in small dwellings. Bailey is also involved in a really interesting YouTube competition called Outlast Homestead, where the winner gets the title to the land. She's going to tell us all about it, so stick around. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Tiny House Decisions Print Edition is finally here. Yes, you heard that right. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I've been very reluctant to release my signature guide, Tiny House Decisions, in print form. It's long, it's in full color, and it's expensive to print and ship. Well, after years of requests from readers, I finally figured it out and I have everything set up and ready to go. The print edition of Tiny House Decisions is a gorgeous, full-color, 85 by 11 paperback that's fit for your desk or coffee table. It can be added on at checkout when you purchase the digital edition of Tiny House Decisions, which is what I recommend. That way, you get the digital guide which comes with free updates for life, the Tiny House Decisions workbook, and other extras. I'm offering $10 off when you add the print copy onto your order. Shipping is free within the USA. There are less than 10 copies left in the initial run, so head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to get your copy today. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. All right, I am here with Bailey Carlton. After getting married on the family homestead, Bailey and Bjorn started their tiny adventure in a micro tiny house in Alaska. They upgraded from 112 square feet to 204 square feet a year later when their third child was born. After four years, when they had saved up enough money for a traditional home, they bought a school bus, converted it into a luxury schoolie, and traveled coast to coast looking for their forever home, finally choosing Fort Collins, Colorado. Now they are living their best life in their conventional home. Bailey owns an online shop, Bailey Blossom & Co., and is also working on Outlast Homestead with Job Melton, a homesteading YouTube competition where the winners get the title to the land. Bailey, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. Um, Wow, what a story. I remember kind of checking out your website as it was happening, but... um, Maybe you could run me through your progression of tiny houses because I count I count three with the schoolie. Yep, there has been three. Okay. So yeah, we started, we are very impulse shoppers apparently when it comes to tiny houses. And so there was a Craigslist advertisement for a food truck and I saw it and I was like, oh my goodness, we could have a tiny house. And my husband was like, no. And I was like, let's just go see it. 
And he humored me and he got in there and he was like, let's do it. And I was like, no, (laughs) too small. Um, But we ended up with that tiny house and it was 112 square feet micro. And we built it out in Alaska and lived there. But we kept having children. So we needed to upgrade. So we upgraded to a 204 square feet that was um, actually built on Tiny House Nation. We weren't on Tiny House Nation, but it was built there. And we loved that tiny house. It was everything that we could have imagined in a space. But then we had saved up enough money to purchase a traditional home. So we just didn't know where that would be. So we traveled or we bought a school bus, another impulse purchase on Craigslist, um, retrofitted it, and then took off from Washington State to Florida and then went back. And on our way back, we were going to turn left and go to Austin or turn right and go to Colorado. And we ended up in Colorado and we love it here. So you mentioned that the the 204 square foot house kind of had everything you could have imagined. What what were some of the things that, you know, that extra 100 square feet afforded you when you moved from the, the micro house to the tiny house? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So we um, were really wanting a double loft, a loft for the adults and a loft for the kids. We also were wanting a very large kitchen. We have um, a lot of allergies, so we aren't able to eat out. So everything has to be made at our house and our safe kitchen. So this one had a massive kitchen. Um, It also had a massive fridge, a freezer. We added in a washer dryer and even a dishwasher. Awesome. So, by, yeah, it was it was absolutely incredible. And how many kids, how many people lived in that 204 square foot? So it was my husband and myself and my two littles. And then um, my third littles came um, while we lived in that tiny house. And is that is that the the famous tiny house home birth story? That is her name is Ivy. And she was born in a bookshelf. She was born at home um, in my my previous life before being married and having kids. I was um, a midwifery student, so I've always been really passionate about home birth. And I finally got to have my home birth at home, and it was beautiful and lovely. And we're so glad she's here. That's awesome! Congratulations. Thanks. So, I could see how you know adding an infant to to the two loft setup could make things kind of difficult. And I, I wouldn't blame you if you had just immediately been like, okay, we need to buy something a little bit bigger, but you went the schoolie route. Yeah, we did. So um, our choice to live tiny was very financial driven. My husband is a teacher and I wanted to be a stay at home mom. So managing that budget, um, we chose that having the financial freedom of a small living space was the right choice there. Um, and we actually managed to become debt free. And that's when we thought we would stop living in a tiny house, but we kind of assessed the situation and decided that we still liked this lifestyle. So we kept going and we were able to save enough money for a traditional house. So the bus came into the picture when we realized we didn't want to live forever where we were. So we purchased the bus to travel the United States and try to find the home where we would raise our family. So what, 
what was there anything else about the tiny house that made you decide that you you wanted to move on other than just like needing more space yeah I think at that point it was really um it was wanting for more space. I think our kids were getting big enough to the point where two laughs wasn't enough when you had three kids. And it wasn't, we did actually add a third bedroom into it. So we had a little room area and we added a fold down bed, but converting that space every day into a bedroom and then into a living space and then into a bedroom was just getting really exhausting and frustrating. So we knew at that point with three littles, in that smallest space, like it was time, time to get bigger. And really, honestly, I say that we moved into a conventional house, but our house is only 900 square feet. So, I mean, when you consider it's five people, I don't know, it's still a relatively small house. Yeah, absolutely. Five people and 900 square feet. That's, you know, per person still pretty tiny. Yeah. How many bedrooms is the new place? So the new place is three bedrooms, but we have a plan to um, add a second floor onto it and it'll be four. So there will be one bedroom for each of us. That's great. Yeah. So I'm curious about, I want to hear more about the schoolie because, you know, there's certainly some, I guess in my mind, I'm saying, wow, they saved up money for for a house. And then, you know, in a way, Buying a schoolie is something of a gamble. I mean, you don't know if it's going to last. Is it going to be resellable? Um, can you take me through that the thought process there? Yeah. So we were traveling um, at the time. We were driving between Alaska and the lower 48. So we were in Canada. And I raised the question, like, so we want to buy a house, but we don't know where why don't we just continue traveling until we find it? And then we weighed the decision between a motor home and something like a school bus. And I'm very aesthetic driven. So the school bus was, you know, nice on that, that hand. And then the other thing is um, motor homes, everything is made very small. So like the kitchen sink is very small and the oven is very small. So the idea of retrofitting a school bus, we could put full size um, appliances in. So that's what took us down the, the road to a schoolie. And I actually, again, on Craigslist found, um, it was a family of five that was already living in a school bus and they were selling it. So I called them and put down money on it. And then we went and picked it up and we got it home. And then we kind of ripped apart a lot of what they had already done to make it more workable for our family. So one of the things was adding bus seats back in so that we could put car seats in it. And um, I'm a lover of baths. So we put a Japanese soaking tub in it. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great transition, but honestly, I'm not particularly pro bus because it was exhausting finding places to be able to park. Yeah. That's um, something that I've been hearing especially now during, during the pandemic, but, um, do you think that, or I guess I could ask it another way, why not bring the bus to Fort Collins and then live in it? Cause I, I would imagine that the bus was quite a bit larger than your, your 204 square foot tiny home. 
you know, we did the math and we think that it was about equal um, square footage wise. The, the two older kids had their own bunks um, and the little one at that time was little enough to still be in bed with us, but there's no walls in a bus or the way we had it configured. Um, it was very open spaced. And so after a year of living in an open floor plan with littles, it was just like, nope, I want walls. I want bedrooms. I want space. I want to be able to shut a door. Um, so by the time that I was done with the bus, I was just very done with the bus and ready, ready for the next, the next move. So did you, did you sell the bus? Yep. The bus has sold. Actually, funny enough, I think it's for sale again. The people who bought it uh, were thinking about traveling with it, but because of the current situation, they're not traveling and um, they're going back to their traditional lifestyle. And were you, so now that you've sold three different tiny homes, um, you've got a, a unique perspective because most people maybe only ever buy and sell one. You know, did you, did you break even on all of them? Did you make money on them? Can you, can you run us through? Well, that's a great question. So the first one, <laughs> um, the first tiny house, we broke even. It was the cost of the house plus all the renovations that we had done. It was broken even. The second tiny house sold for more than we bought it for, but we had added a lot to it. So it didn't have a washer dryer when it we, and it didn't have a dishwasher. So by the time we sold it, we had added value to it. And same thing with the bus. So we bought it for less than we sold it, but we had done a lot of renovations to it. So I think technically we would have broken even on all of them if you considered time and cost, but yeah. Right. You can never, if you, if you factor in your own time, then it's just depressing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You don't want to know. It's a labor of love. Yeah. I'm curious when you embarked on say the, I guess the first tiny house on your blog, you, you definitely made it clear that it was kind of an impulse purchase. Um, but when you went and upgraded to the second tiny house, you know, that certainly seemed to show that you were like into the lifestyle. Did you, did you always see tiny house living as kind of a means to save up for a quote unquote traditional home? Or were you, was there a point where you were like, yeah, we're going to do this forever? No, there was never a point where we were going to do it forever. I, have a complete respect for minimalists and I think it's amazing and I can live a minimalist lifestyle but truly I'm a maximalist I love decoration and the things that I do own really truly do bring me joy so it's actually been kind of fun filling up a house after living tiny there's a, a big perspective shift because everything that comes into the house is it useful does it make me smile and if it doesn't pass that test you know it, it doesn't come in so anyway, back to the question, it was very financially driven. Once we were in it, we decided that we would stay in it longer than we had anticipated, but that was, that was our drive. Nice. Um, and, and regarding the, you know, filling your house, most people won't see 
video, but we're we're talking via Zoom, and I can see behind you um, a wall that's painted in a really cool way with some built-in shelves. But also, you know, it doesn't look cluttered. It doesn't look like there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, that is true. I think um, I I feel like aesthetics are a very something that drives me as like an individual, I suppose. So design, I've always been a um, I've always loved like the Swedish clean lines. So that's why there isn't too much, but at the same time, there's definitely pops of color. And if you look at the the 204 square foot tiny house, the um, tiny house nation one, the walls are all geometric, um, kind of like this. It's, it was definitely a style that followed me. Nice. So in, before we talked or sorry, before we started rolling, um, you mentioned that, um, at some point you'd like to do another kind of road trip and, and get to the East coast of the United States. Do you know, do you have an idea of what you might like to do that in? Would you, would you do another schoolie or something else? Um, yeah, so we, um, living in the school bus, we've been through all these different campgrounds and I saw all sorts of really cool rigs and like convert other converted buses and airstreams. And we actually, I haven't even told you this. We lived in an airstream for one summer too. Oh. I guess maybe is that four tiny houses? <laughs> yeah. Was that where in, in the trajectory was that? Trajectory. So, um, we ended up in Alaska to be with our family for one summer and we needed a place to crash. And so a friend of the family offered an Airstream and we lived in the Fairbanks, Alaska community garden as kind of caretakers of the garden and um, just to be a presence to keep the riffraff out. So we spent a summer in the Airstream in the garden and it was one of the most beautiful times ever. Cool. So if we were going to do that trip, we have talked about it a lot. Like what kind of rig would we take? And um, out of all of the different ones I've seen being in the school bus, I pointed to one and I was like, that's the one that I would like. And of course, <laughs> we looked it up and it's a $3 million rig. Whoa. So I don't know that we'll ever get there, but it was a beautiful motor coach. And like they gave us a tour inside and it was just absolutely amazing. So in my perfect, amazing world, that's what we would do the Canada East Coast trip in. So a motor coach, a $3 million motor coach. Yeah, $3 million motor coach. Yeah, the tinies um, that we had were really, they weren't built to be on the road. We did take the 204 square foot one across the country. We started in Washington, D.C. And we joked that we went to the wrong Washington and then headed to Washington state, but they just weren't built for that purpose. And, um, I think it would be, it's intense to take a, tra- a tiny on the road. Yeah. I've only ever moved mine a few miles at a time and it's, that's intense enough for me. Yeah. It's harrowing. I mean, I feel like I kind of smile when I watch something like tiny house nation, there's the dramatic move like music as it's moving but every time our tiny houses moved i felt that like energy it's it's your house (laughs) yeah yeah um so you while you were living tiny you had a great blog and website and instagram account and then in preparing for this interview it seemed that i couldn't find anything 
So I'm curious, um, why did you decide to kind of take take your tiny living stuff off of the internet? You know, it was, it. that's a really good question. And I'm afraid that I haven't been able to quite articulate it, even to my husband. He's like, why are you taking your account offline? Because I've been sharing our story very openly for six years now. Um, but it just, when I was living in a tiny house, I had a story to share and it was about living tiny. And now we don't really have a story to share. I think we've gone really inward and, um, I've been focusing on my business. So it's kind of that shift of energy. Right. Yeah. Like in a way that's kind of, um, a minimalist perspective. It's like you want to have the energy for the projects that you're focused on now rather than having to think about, you know, oh, did I post to that Instagram account lately? Or, you know, I have to update the WordPress plugins on that blog and that kind of stuff. So I I understand that. Yeah, exactly. And I really, I enjoyed the blog, but I really, really did love Instagram. I met a lot of friends. We've as we were traveling in the schoolie, I'd be like, we're in Nashville and people would be like, Hey, come swing by. And we've met a lot of amazing people that way. And so I do miss my, my Instagram family. I just shifted, shifted accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your experience, you know, I, I thank you for sharing your experience because it is very valuable, um, to be able to talk with somebody who's lived in so many kind of iterations of tiny and and is still living tiny in a way you know just tiny for the number of people that you have today's episode is sponsored by precision temp let's face it most tiny house dwellers want their homes to be small but not uncomfortable that means reliable unlimited hot water precision temp's propane fired hot water heaters reliably provide unlimited hot water and they're specifically designed with tiny homes in mind in fact The NSP 550 model was installed in my own tiny home, and the reason I chose it was because it did not require a large hole in the side of my home like other RV hot water heaters. Instead, it mounts discreetly through the floor of the tiny house and works quietly and reliably. With their patented Very Flame technology, these are the only gas-fired tankless water heaters approved by RVIA and are ANS certified. Features such as cold weather and wind protection, precise electronic temperature control, and onboard diagnostics are standard. With higher efficiency and 55,000 BTUs of power, these units produce far more hot water than traditional water heaters. And since they don't come on unless you want hot water or to protect against freezing, you may find that you use as little as half the propane or natural gas as before. So go ahead and take that long, hot shower. Precision Temp is offering listeners of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast $100 off plus free shipping using the coupon code THLP. Head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP for $100 off any order plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com, coupon code THLP. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. One thing that I like think about also with with tiny house living and, you know, 
similar to you, like I'm not living tiny full time at this point. I'm in a pretty tiny condo. And like we don't have any outside space here that's ours. Like it's a shared entry and exit. There's um a yard that isn't really like ours to do anything particular with. Like there's no there's no project space. And I wonder if if that was something that you noticed just like because I, I could see moving to a, a house that's smaller than the one that I'm in now, but having that kind of workshop space could open up a lot of things. And I'm curious, like, was that something you were looking forward to? And maybe what did you do once you had it? Yeah, I think there's kind of two points. So we also have lived in a tiny house community. And we've also lived in a tiny house by ourselves, but on someone else's land. So in the tiny house community, there's no kind of space. I mean, you have your house, but to like be alone outdoors, it doesn't really exist. There's no privacy. And then when we were living on someone else's land, we had to ask permission to do everything. And I have to say, having our own house that has like a beautiful backyard and I was able to be like, we're we're doing half of our backyard is going to be this giant victory garden. And to be able to dig in the ground without a second thought is really nice. Um, But we never owned the land where we parked our tiny house. So maybe like if you had that opportunity, that would make that feel a lot differently. But I definitely hear you having, having that outdoor space is just amazing. And I would say that um, my favorite or one of the experiences that makes me smile about living tiny with kids is we did have a Instagram and she got after us for raising children in a box. And I I realized this has no idea. She thinks that we're literally raising our children 204 square feet when really we're outside 90% of the day. And it kind of became a thing with, uh, with um, tiny families to use hashtag raising children in a box. So the the outdoor space has always been important to us in our tiny house and now in a traditional house. That's a funny story. Um, it got choppy there for a second. It it also it came through enough that it's salvageable. But I just want to give the internet a second to sometimes it just needs to catch up for a second. And I'm going to cough because okay. <laughs> the most awkward time in history to have seasonal allergies and the ragweed just bloomed here. Oh no. And it, I want like a t-shirt that says seasonal allergies because I'm just, I'm coughing. Oh no. You're like yeah. a pariah. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Um, anyway, it looks like it was, I think it was my internet and it should be fine now. Okay. So before we kind of turn from the topic of tiny houses, I'm curious if you have uh, maybe one favorite experience that you had with your tiny house or kind of as a result of living tiny. Okay, I'm going to think on that for just a moment. You know, actually, it's from the school bus, is that okay? Okay, so from the school bus, uh, we ended up in Florida, and it is very difficult to find parking when you're in a school bus because there's like a a stigma, I suppose, 
about being in a bus. And that was really difficult for us. So anytime that we'd go to park somewhere, sometimes we'd roll up and there'd be no buses allowed. Or um, they would say that our school bus was too old, which it didn't look old or feel old, but we would get kicked out for that reason. But the most welcoming place that we've ever been was Disney World. They did not care at all the age of our rig. They did not care that it was a bus. Live at Disney World for the rest of our lives. And I was like, um, <laughs> let's, let's do a little reality check here. Um, but to have that experience, just a very like kind of lazy experience at Walt Disney World, whereas I think that a lot of people go there and they're like super stressed about experiencing everything really fast in you know the week that they get to be there we got to be there for longer because it's so much cheaper camping versus staying at one of the resorts so that was fun wow you cut out a little bit but just to follow so you actually you camped at disney world and they were super they're super welcoming i didn't even realize that they allowed like campers and that at our at disney world yeah they have camping yeah, tent camping, um, motorhome camping. It's called Fort Wilderness, and it's it's considered one of their resorts on on campus. And I have to say, it was really fun. That's awesome. Well, that's a that's a good tip for anyone in Florida in a schoolie or a van that you can camp at Disney World. Yep. So um, when you initially contacted me, um, you mentioned this project and we talked about it in the um in the intro outlast homestead um so what maybe we can start with what is it and how what's your connection to it how did you get involved in this project yeah so i know the investor for outlast homestead and he came to me and he was like i have this idea with my friend joe melton and joe um has this idea and it's super cool and super amazing of doing a YouTube competition, homesteading specific, and whoever wins the competition wins the land. And I was just so thrilled about it because of all of our like troubles, finding parking and, you know, finding the tiny house community. Like, wouldn't it be nice to have just been given land? So, uh, that's what it is. It's called Outlast Homestead and it's participants homesteading and doing different competitions to, to earn the rights to the land. It's pretty neat. So would, um, you know, would someone potentially be able to like bring their tiny house there for the competition or do you have to like build everything from scratch right there? At first, I know that one of the, the competition, um, checkoffs is to build your own um, shelter. So I think you'd have to do that in the beginning, but you could, once earning it, definitely bring your tiny house there. And how, like, so how long is the competition going to last and where, where does it take place? Where is this land? Yeah. So we have been taking applications. We just crossed the threshold of 200 applications and the people who are applying are getting to say where they would like it to be. We narrowed it down to eight states. And then depending on where our applicants want to be, we're going to make that decision based on that. And your other question was. Um, how long is it going to be? Yeah, how long? Um, so initially we had thought a year, 
um, and it will start in the spring of 2021. But we're getting, again, feedback from those who want to participate about how long they would like to be at the land and at the homestead. So we're kind of still in that like initial phase, but we've got a realtor. We're looking at different land opportunities and we're about to start taking, we've, we've taken um, applications by a Google Doc and we're about to start video applications really soon here. Awesome. Yeah. And are you, sir, are you looking for more applications at this point? Or are you? Yes. So if you are interested in doing a homesteading competition, outlastco.com, you can sign up to be a participant. And we would absolutely love to have some of the tiny house uh, community come out for that. How many participants will there be? 16. Okay. And is there, is it like reality show, like pro, style, like elimination kind of thing or? I um, maybe think a little bit like Survivor, but not so um, overdone. More, more real. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And so I think that like, this is a little meta, but it's like part of tiny house living is kind of about reducing your, your monthly expenses and reducing your needs so that you can have more free time you know, to be a stay-at-home mom or you have, you also have your online business and then there's like this project. So are you interested in homesteading? Like, I'm just still like, why did you, why did this call to you? Uh, yeah. So I have, I've worked on an organic farm before and, um, my husband and I were married on the family homestead in Alaska uh, currently in my backyard, I have a 30 by 40 garden and two, technically there's, well, they should be egg laying ducks, but right now they're just pet ducks who don't provide anything. So homesteading has always been, um, really important to me, but when I weighed how difficult a homestead life is, and I have some health, um, issues that I decided that, you know, animal husbandry wouldn't be right for us. So we live in a downtown area, but we still keep the ducks and we have a dog and a cat and it's a, it's a regular zoo here. Nice. Well, yeah. maybe, you know, I think the idea of living in tiny house community pro provides the opportunity to do some homesteading like thing, but without having to rely completely on your yourself. Oh, for sure. For sure. I love the, the community aspect and I'm really looking forward to being able to go out to the land of Outlast Homestead when it's up and going and seeing that community feel again. Yeah. And do you actually have any plans or desire to host tiny houses now that you have land to offer? So we um, we're just sitting in our front yard. And there is a camper parked on the other side of the street. And we were kind of looking over there and we realized that these guys must live in their camper and they're visiting friends, but they can't park in their friend's driveway because it's being used because there's multiple tenants. And so we were just saying this morning, we should go knock on their window and tell them they can park in our driveway instead of parking on the street. Because we know how kind of awkward it is to park on the street when you could be tucked, tucked in someone's drive. Our backyard isn't big enough yet for a tiny house, um, but maybe someday, maybe when the kids are out of the house, we would go back 
and uh, invite someone to be in our land. As you peek over the fences in our neighborhood, there's a lot of tiny houses tucked away. Are they are they legal in Fort Collins? You know, honestly, I didn't do the research. I assume not. But we've actually been invited by our neighbors to come tour them. And there's some really, really neat spaces that are that our neighbors are creating. So that's been really fun. Awesome. Yeah. One thing that I like to ask all of my guests is um, what are two or three resources? So like books or YouTube channels or really any any resource that helped you along on your tiny house journey that you could share with our listeners? So when we were beginning our tiny house journey, my biggest resource was tiny house people on Facebook. Um, and I got to meet Macy Miller and we've kind of chased each other around the United States as she's been traveling with her children too. We've crossed paths a couple times and so it's been really neat to have visits along the way. Also, I have a section in um oh turning tiny. Thank you. <laughs> I have a section in turning tiny. Um and I felt really really humble when I turned in my paperwork um my piece and then I got the book back when it was completed to see oh my goodness these are like amazing tiny houses that I have always looked up to um so after reading that book I was like this is a fantastic resource also have you read it um I I have I don't have a copy myself but um I've definitely taking a look at it. And it, it is a beautiful book, really well put together. Yeah, my, my grandma ordered five copies. So oh. <laughs> yeah, so when she has her five copies, it still cracks me up. <laughs> That's She just has five to keep? Yeah, she just has five. I think she was planning on giving them away. But um, yeah, she was just so proud. <laughs> nice, nice. I actually just I thought of a couple other questions about about your Alaska experience. If maybe we could go into that. Um, so 114 square feet in Alaska. What was, what was your heat and your water like for that? So that was definitely a challenge. And, um, we have the cold climate research center in Fairbanks, Alaska, and we've relied really heavily on them to make decisions. We did something really unique most tiny houses are really on wheels. Tiny houses on wheels are very concerned about weight. And we actually put in a cement floor with radiant floor heating in it, which I think is pretty unheard of in the tiny house community. But when you're living in Alaska, you got to try hard. So we used radiant floor heat and we used the Nest um, thermostat to help with the swings of what how radiant floor heat works. With the radiant heat, we had seven inches of spray foam on the bottom of the house on the outside, and we had R22 um, on every other part of the house. So some nights we would um, run the electric heater also, but our um, failure there was that if the electricity went out, we were really not in a good place because it would just get really cold really fast. And that did happen one night at 40 below. 
And uh, we hightailed it to a hotel room because it was like, nope, <laughs> we're not going to suffer through this one. So what what heated the, the radiant floors? Was that hot water as well? No, it was electric radiant Electric floor. radiant. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Concrete. So I, I have heard of radiant floors in tiny houses, but usually not with the, the concrete. Right. Did Was your trailer like able to move still? Yeah. And um, just like I've felt like I've heard a lot that you shouldn't put tile in a tiny house. And we were definitely advised not to put cement in the tiny house. The cement never had an issue. And we've traveled coast to coast in the tiny that had tile. And we never had any issue with that either. Nice. Well, that's uh, that was an early kind of anecdotal thing, like no drywall, no tile. Um, I have my, my, my tiny has a, a tile shower floor and it's never cracked. It's moved and it's been parked on constantly shifting, not level ground. And so it's, it's been fine. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like my tiny experience is dated because we've lived in a conventional home for nearly two years and we start. So it's, it's been seven years since we started our tiny house journey. And um, I kind of feel like I'm really out of the loop, but we did have the experience. Yeah. And and also Cold Climate Research Center, I just pulled them up and this looks like a fantastic resource. Yeah. Did they, did you like consult with them directly or just kind of go based on what is on their website? Nope. We consulted with them directly. They are absolutely amazing wealth of knowledge. They're constantly doing research and they are just very open. It's kind of like, I would describe it as like a cooperative extension, but specifically for cold climate. And they just absolutely went above and beyond helping us in every way. That's fantastic. I wonder, I wonder as tiny homes grow in popularity, if they're, they're going to kind of put out some kind of resource, it it would seem that it could make sense to create a, a reusable resource. Yeah. And I think in Alaska, the concept of like tiny living is pretty normal because there's so many cabins and yeah. um, that sort of thing. So living small in Alaska wasn't so abnormal, but putting wheels on the bottom of it, that was weird. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, Bailey Carlson, uh, want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and it was great to finally meet you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Bailey Carlson for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Bailey's website and the Outlast Homestead at thetinyhouse.net slash 133. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 133. Thank you so much to our sponsor today, Precision Temp. Don't forget to check out precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP for $100 off and free shipping. All right, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.